Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Rabbi David Levine here, and special greetings to all of you in the Beth Israel Sanctuary and to our podcast listeners and everyone on Facebook Live and YouTube. Thanks for joining us today. Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshenu B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, this week's Torah portion continues the teaching about the battle between contempt and faith, and it follows the previous episode with the spies and the contempt that they had for God that manifest in their bad report and the conflict that they stirred up. This week, the Parsha focuses on some Levites. That's my tribe, literally. I'm from the tribe of uh, Levi. And these Levites needed correction because they also had contempt and there were a lot of things stirring. Now, these two episodes that we read about last week and this week are connected and they're also quite extreme and they show that seeds of discord had been sown and were growing among the people. Discord and disrespect and division all were at work together to defeat the very purpose and the calling of the community of faith, the very purpose and calling of Israel. They were working to defeat Israel on the journey through the wilderness, and they can always be working to defeat the community of faith. So for us and for every other congregation, it's so important to learn about how these uh, forces work and to learn how to stand together in strength with God. So there were some questions that Moses needed to find answers for, and there are questions also that will help us in our study today. And here's one of the questions. What was Israel's condition? Was it ready to go into the promised land? Were the people, was the, was the whole community ready to put away division and discord and disrespect? Was the community ready to go forward? Now, they'd come out of Egypt. They'd been slaves. They'd been through a lot of trauma. They did not have the experience of getting organized, nor did they have the experience of learning to operate together as a community of faith. And so the question is, what was their condition? When would they be ready? And Moses needed to find answers to this. That's one of the reasons why last week's Torah portion was called Shalach Lecha, meaning send for yourself. That's what the Lord said to Moses, send for yourself um, spies who could come back and report to you about the condition of the land you're going to go to. And compare that, for instance, to Abraham, who God said, I'm going to take you to a land you don't know. But he didn't uh, send any spies in advance. Abraham was able to believe God, to trust God, and he led his family out. And they went to the promised land without having advance notice of what they were going to and what the situation was. They were trusting God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. So what was Israel's condition? We're talking about a lot of people in very different circumstances. What were 
the what was the readiness of the whole community? Were they ready to go forward? What were the forces that were pulling Israel back to Egypt? We saw some of that last week, that with the fear and the discontent and the grumbling and the contempt that was at work, there were... Um, there were many people who wanted to appoint new leadership for an entirely different vision, the vision of going back to the land of Egypt. So what were the forces that were pulling Israel back to Egypt? That was important for Moses to find out. And what, what was at work to bring Israel back to its broken ways and broken past rather than into the good future that God had in mind. So some of this was absolutely not clear enough. It needed to be known. It needed to be assessed and evaluated. It was so important. And what was hidden needed to be revealed. It needed to be out in the open. Now, it reminds me of something that Yeshua said that's recorded in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Uh, Yeshua said, don't be afraid of those who threaten you. And he was sharing that from his own experience of having been threatened. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that's concealed will be revealed and all that's secret will be made known. So Moses and Yeshua both experienced threats. They experienced challenges. And we can learn from their experiences and from their teachings in ways that I think can be very useful to us useful to us today. Now, before we turn to the scriptures, and we'll do it in just a minute, I want to let you know I posted a link to a really encouraging podcast I did called Fruitful in Adversity. And it's very positive and very encouraging, and it's a great counterpoint, honestly, for, excuse me, for the Torah portion today and from last week. Sandy listened to it, and it encouraged her, and she said, I should listen to it as well. It would encourage me. So I did listen. I listened to my own message, and it actually encouraged me. It was from some years ago. I think it will encourage you, too. The link to that podcast is on all of our Facebook pages today, Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue, Messianic Jewish Teachings, and the David Levine page. So you can find it there and you can listen. Don't click on it right now. Don't go there right now. You can do it later today. So now let's start today's Torah study in Numbers chapter 16. That's where we'll start reading in Parshat Korach. Number 16, starting in verse 1. Now Korach, the son of Yitzhar, the son of Chat, the son of Levi or Levi, along with Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliav and On, the son of Pelet, descendants of Reuben. So you got Levites and Reubenites. They took men and they rebelled against Moses. And siding with them were 250 men of Israel, leaders of the community, key members of the council, men of reputation. So these were machers. These were not insignificant uh, shlamazels and shlamils. They were people of substance. They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, <clears throat> you take 
too much on yourselves. After all, the entire community is holy, every one of them, and Adonai is among them. So why do you lift yourselves up above Adonai's assembly? In just a moment, uh, to recall that Cantor Aaron had a good Torah teaser about this and shared a perspective that can be very useful to you. Let me share with you some thoughts. The accusation has several key points the accusation against Moses and Aaron, it's, I'll identify four points. You take too much on yourselves, that's one point. Another point is everyone in the community is holy. And the third point is every one of them. And then the fourth point, Moses and Aaron, you lift yourselves up above everyone else. So those are the accusations. And then there's a question, what are the motivations that are behind those accusations? Moses is focused on the hidden motivations. And in fact, the true motivations that are driving that group of people are, are complex. They're worth taking note of. So let's look at Moses' response, verse four. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. And then he said to Korah and his whole group, in the morning, the Lord will show you who are his and who's the holy person he will allow to approach himself. Yes, he will bring whomever he chooses near to himself. Do this, take censers, Karach and all your group, put fire in them. This is, these are the incense burners. Put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and the one whom the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. And then chapter 16, verse 7, the very next part of the verse, Moses identifies one of the hidden motivations. It says this, It is you, you sons of Levi, who are taking too much on yourselves. So Moses says to Korah, listen here, you sons of Levi. And it's important to sort of think of that uh, maybe in a more modern way. Listen here, cousins, or listen, cuz. Listen, you guys, because he's talking to his cousins. He's talking to his tribe. He's talking to his family group. These are not some strangers or some uh, group from outside of Israel. This is his own tribe. They're Levites. Moses is a Levite. Aaron is a Levite. And this is what Moses says. Listen here, you sons of Levi. Listen here. Is it for you a mere trifle? This is his question. Is it for you a mere trifle? Is it a really small thing that the God of Israel has separated you from the community of Israel to bring you close to him so that you can do the work in the tabernacle of the Lord and stand <clears throat> and stand before the community serving them. I've got some hot tea here that helps me. When I'm talking, thank you, Sandy, for the hot tea. This is what Moses is saying. Here's your work. Is it a mere trifle? Is it insignificant? And he identifies two parts of the work, doing the work in the tabernacle of the Lord and standing, standing before the community and serving them. You see, each group in the 
different family groups of the Levites were assigned very specific responsibilities. And I mentioned some of that in a, in a very encouraging way in um, that podcast, uh, Fruitful in Adversity. So it, it may encourage you to, to listen to that. I think it will encourage you. The, the um, sons of Korah, had been assigned very specific responsibility. The other Levites had been assigned very specific responsibilities. And they seemed to be not content with their realm. So in verse 10, Moses continues and said, he's brought you close and all your brothers, the sons of Levi with you. And then Moses identifies another hidden motivation. He says, now you want the office of Kohen too. That's why, that's why you and your group have gathered together against the Lord. After all, what's Aaron that you would complain against him? You know, Aaron's a nice guy. Aaron's a good guy. Why are you complaining against him? It's because you want the role of Kohen. And the role of Kohen was given not to all the Levites, but to Aaron and his family group. They were called to be the priests. So here Moses connects hidden motivations to visible actions. And I can tell you it can be difficult. It can even be risky to do that. Sometimes we may guess what people's hidden motivations are. We may think we understand. We may not be right. But in this case, Moses pinpoints, he pinpoints the hidden motivations. Now with those hidden motivations, I want to uh, describe some of the characteristics that go along with them. And they are um, what I would call motivations and temptations that can be uh, at work and may be unnoticed or unrecognized when they're happening. So one of the hidden motivations or the hidden actions is distortion, not speaking in a straight way or misrepresenting some of the facts. Now, here's here's one of the facts that these um, these Korachim were, were stating, they said, every one of Israel is holy. Now, God called everyone to be holy, and they, believe me, if you know anything about human nature and human groups, you know that all of us are not holy all the time. God's called us to a life of holiness, but we fall short and we recognize it. And and there are some people, um, some Jewish people who have no interest in being holy, no motivation to be holy. There are some Israelis who aren't holy. There are some people who identify themselves as Messianic Jews or Messianic believers who are going through the motions, if you will, because something needs to happen deeply inside of them. So they may be religious, they may be this or that, but in a group of hundreds of thousands, even millions of people, it's not true that everyone is holy. So there was an exaggeration and it was a misrepresentation that was meant to, I think, stir up everybody to feel um, like Korach and his group were in favor of 
every kind of person, regardless of whether they were ready, regardless of whether they had prepared themselves and so forth. So there are distortions and misrepresentation, but there's also another force at work, and it's a force that each one of us has to deal with, envy, envy wanting what's not ours, or jealousy, feeling... um, feeling upset in some way about what other people have. And then there's a kind of ambition that's not godly. It's a selfish ambition. And then there's a a big sin, uh, covetousness, which is, I mean, it's, it's one of the big ones that makes the Ten Commandments. You know, don't covet your neighbor's, you know, wife and so forth. Um, covetousness, which has two different ways of manifesting itself. One is, I want what you have. And the other way is, I don't want you to have what you have that I don't have. Then there's hubris. Hubris is a, is a very special kind of pride. There's a certain kind of pride that we could call pride of um our work or pride of craftsmanship, that pride is good. To take pride in the work that we do is a positive thing. Hubris is different than that. Hubris is a kind of pride that's mixed with arrogance that um, that leads us to stumble and to fall. And then the last thing is contempt. And this is common to what we read about last week. Now, Sandy shared with me a scripture. Sandy and I love to study the scriptures together and independently, and she was sharing with me some scriptures that that spoke to her this week, and one of them was 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'll, I'll read to you from the New Living Translation. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand up under. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. And that was very helpful to me. And it was helpful also for me to read this in several different translations. Here's another one. Uh, it, It goes like this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape. And two things stood out. One of them is we're all subject to temptation. That's why we read these truly horrible stories so that we can see that not that Korach is is bad and exceptional, though he was and and everything that happened was exceptional. Not that the 10 spies are, are like the worst because they weren't. All of these folks had ministry positions. They all had leadership uh, capabilities of some sort. However, the temptation that each one of us experiences is typical for us. You and I are subject to temptation, and we have to learn that when we're being tempted, that we need to recognize it, and that there is a way of escape so that we can take the way of escape. That's that's something that's really important for us. Rather than just struggle with the temptation, 
we try to find a way of escape out of the temptation. Now, there's another scripture that helps us understand how temptation can work and how it can develop into problems for us and for others. And Sandy shared this scripture with me from James chapter 1, verse 14, Yaakov chapter 1, verse 14, from the Brita Chadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures. It says this, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he's lured away and enticed. And then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So this, this describes something that temptation can work on us because we want something that's not right. We have a lust for something. There's something we really enjoy, um, like tossing about in our hearts and in our minds. And we give in to it. We're, we're lured by it, but we also give in to it. And that's what it means when it says desire has conceived. In other words, when we give in to the things that tempt us, then it, it causes a conception and a birth to develop. And the spiritual process is at work at, uh, at this moment in the story of Korah. He's tempted. His evil desires are luring him away and enticing him, and it ultimately gives birth to death. We're going we're gonna to see how that works. Chapter 12, Moses sent to summon Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliav. These are some of the others who are involved in all this. And they replied, we won't come up. And then they respond in this way. Um, Is it a mere trifle? Is it such a mere trifle bringing us up from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? That now you arrogate to yourself the role of dictator. So they use some of Moses' words, the mere trifle and the phrase he uses, and they use it back at him with contempt. It's a way to mock someone. It's also a way to show disrespect to someone by by talking like that. But they take Moses' words and then they twist them and they distort them and then they exaggerate them and they say, you brought us up from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert. Is that a small thing? That's what we're concerned about. You call that a small thing? No, now, now you're trying to be a dictator as well. So what are they doing in their distortion? They're they're saying Egypt was a land flowing with milk and honey, and you want to kill us in the desert. You're a dictator. They're exaggerating, and they're showing disrespect. But now something else is happening. As this conflict is developing and as, as the episode moves forward as we're reading it we're beginning to uncover some of the things that were hidden and we're beginning to get answers to some of the questions that Moses needed answering about the condition of Israel and what was the readiness of Israel to go forward and what were the forces that might take Israel back back to to 
Egypt. And here was one. Egypt was a land flowing with milk and honey. That was one of the points that that Korah, that the spies, that, that others had made time and time again. They'd look backward at Egypt with not only nostalgia, but with distortion and misrepresentation. And they began to yearn for that which was familiar to them and that which they knew. And instead of trusting God about the unknown or the challenges or what had to develop in them, they got all stirred up. They began to exaggerate and disrespect and that's at work too. Then in verse 14, another part of an accusation emerges. You haven't at all brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. And you haven't put us in possession of fields and vineyards. You promised us. You enticed us, Moses. That's what they're saying. Moses, you told us God would bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey. You told us that this is where you were going to take us. You haven't done it. Where, where is it? You haven't fulfilled what you said you would do. And then look at how it twists and turns in the next part of verse 14. Do you think you can gouge out these men's eyes and blind them? We won't come up. So they, they get all stirred up and they start accusing Moses of not only failing in his leadership mission, but of becoming extremely cruel and of being the kind of person who would just want to gouge out people's eyes and leave them blind. You know, like, it's, it's just another example of the exaggeration, the distortion, and the way that things were working. Now it's being revealed. It wasn't clear before, but it's becoming clear. Verse 15, Moses was very angry. And he said to the Lord, don't accept their grain offering. That's interesting. This is like a prayer conversation that Moses has in his anger. Uh, and he speaks to the Lord about it. And I think all of us can identify with that if we're really honest. You know, if, if you look at the person who's sitting next to you or you look at the mirror and you say, honestly, you know what? I've prayed like that before, or I've been tempted to pray like that. I mean, we can all, I think, identify with this. We get stirred up, and instead of um, uh, of finding our our best position, we just we start praying uh, in self defense. And and Moses says, "It's true. I haven't taken one donkey." from them. I've done nothing wrong to any of them. And that actually is true. So Moses is angry and he has cause for it. He sacrificed. He didn't choose this position. God chose him for the position. He's trying to be a leader who can help people get reconciled to God and move in faith with God. And he's facing opposition to that. And his reputation is being challenged. His motivation is being challenged. It's quite hard for him. And, and he is talking to the Lord honestly about his anger. He's, he's not whitewashing it. He's telling the truth. Then verse 16, Moses says to Korah, you and your group be there in front of Adonai tomorrow. You, they, and Aaron. 
Each of you take his fire pan and put incense in it. Every one of you bring before the Lord his fire pan. 250 fire pans, you two and Aaron, each one his fire pan. It's, it's going to be a big deal. Verse 18, each man took his fire pan, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the entrance to the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And I think that Korach and his team thought, good, now that everything's out in the open, we're going to have a showdown here, and we're going to be vindicated, and it's going to be proved that we're, we're the right ones, and those other guys, Moses and Aaron, they are the ones who are the guilty party. Verse 19, Korach assembles all the group who were against Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And then the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole assembly. Now, when the glory of the Lord appears, you know, many times people feel like, okay, that proves something. And it's about to prove something. It's just not what Korach was expecting. Verse 20, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly. I'm going to destroy them right now. Verse 22, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. That's a position of humility. It's a way of saying, I'm not taking up power. I'm not trying to, you know how guys can be. It's not a macho position. It's the opposite. It's a very humble position. They fell on their faces and they said, oh God, God of the spirits of all mankind, of all humanity, if one person sins, are you going to be angry with the entire assembly? And the Lord answered Moses because Moses knew that the Lord um, dealt with people according to the best way to deal with them. And he didn't. The Lord was not neglectful of uh, each person and, and their individuality. The Lord answers Moses, verse 24, tell the assembly to move away from the homes of Korah, Datan, and Aviram. Moses got up. Moses got up. He went to Datan and Aviram. The leaders of Israel followed him. And there he said to the assembly, leave the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them or you may be swept away in all their sins. And so they moved away from all around the area where Korach, Datan, and Aviram lived. Now, um, this is very challenging because Moses is saying that the motivation of Korach, Datan, and Aviram is evil, and that they are now doing evil. They're such people that um, they're wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them, or you may be swept away in all their sins. And so they moved away from all around the area where Korach, Datan, and Aviram lived. And then Datan and Aviram came out. They stood at the entrance to their tents with their wives, sons, and little ones. And it is a serious moment. And Moses says, this is verse 28, Moses says to everyone, here's how you'll know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that I haven't done them out of my own ambition." If these men die a natural death like other people, only sharing the fate that's common to all humanity, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something new or extraordinary, if the ground opens up and swallows them with everything they own, and they go down alive to Sheol, then you will understand that these men have had contempt 
for the Lord. Well, you'll understand these men have had contempt for the Lord. Moses says contempt's at work and that the contempt is against God. And it's very serious and it may not have been obvious because of the nature of the accusations, the reputation and position of the people and so forth. However, here it is. Now, it's also important. Let me pause and say this. It's important to understand that this is not the precedent in the normal way that God wants to deal with humanity in our sin and in our even evil desires and the things that we do. This is not establishing the norm for how God will deal with people or the proof of it. So um, sometimes people interpret um, death or sickness or something like that as a, as a, evidence against people. I'm not saying that. And you shouldn't reach that conclusion. That is a wrong conclusion. In this case, something was happening, but what we learn from it is not that God always deals this way with people because everyone's going to die. And so it's not about death. And everyone has to struggle with the the weakness of our human bodies, as, as we all know. That's not the issue here. And I, I I hope you can get that. And if you've been trained to think otherwise, you need to retrain and get your mind in a different way of thinking because God desires that no one would perish. And in this case, it's not the yearning of God to perish, to bring condemnation. It's this, that God knows that at this particular moment, What's happening is so serious, it will defeat Israel unless it is dealt with strongly and that Israel can learn to recognize her spiritual condition and the people can learn to, uh, to fix what needs to be fixed. But first they have to recognize it. And there's a spiritual principle at work that we're gonna look at um, as we see this that is really applicable to all of us. Verse 31. The moment Moses finished speaking, the ground under them, under Korach and those others, split apart. The earth opened its mouth. It swallowed them up with their households and all the people who had sided with Korach and everything they owned. And so they and everything they owned went down alive into Sheol. The earth closed over them and their existence in the community ceased. And all Israel around them fled at their shrieks, shouting, the earth might swallow us too. It's a horrible, that was a horrible, horrible moment and a horrible experience. A truly traumatizing experience for everyone to watch. Don't don't ignore that. That's really important. But also understand that it's not normal for God to work that way. He did not do this according to norms. It was exceptional. And so if, if you've ever you know, been guilty yourself of of sinning in such ways through selfish ambition or discord or disrespect or something like that. It doesn't mean that the earth is going to swallow you up. And it really doesn't mean that those of us all over the world who are studying this passage today are hoping that this will happen uh, to to those who um, who 
are, are showing contempt or sin of some sort. That's not the case. We're all having to learn for ourselves a lesson that could be useful for us. And here's one of the lessons that's useful to everyone. Contempt leads to death. Here in the natural, the spiritual contempt becomes natural death. The grave opens up, the earth swallows, but it's an unnatural process. But we see also that the contempt that um, that Korach and his group had, had an effect on other people. It brought out the worst in them, not the best. And it's, it's like leadership gone astray. The impact was for harm. And here's the, some of the damage and harm that we see. It's in Numbers chapter 17, verse 6. It says, the very next day, the whole community of the people of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And they said, you've killed the Lord's people. You did it. Oy. So there's the vision. There's disrespect. The seeds of discord had been sown and they were growing. That's an important lesson for all of us because we can now make a decision for ourselves. We want to choose another path and another way. Here's what's also important, I think, and that is to choose the path of faith and faithfulness and to recognize that faith brings life and contempt brings death. Now, last week I was, I, I put my hands together like this, tried to get them on the screen, and uh, so you could see them, they are right now, and I said, faith is over here and contempt is over here, as if it was, uh, you know, two, two hands equal and opposite. And, and Sandy said to me that she thought of it differently. She thought of faith like this something huge faith touches all things faith can work together for good from romans eight twenty eight, sandy said god causes all things all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose we know that god causes all things he causes everything to work together he causes everything that's faith and death, what is it? And she pointed down to the grave, you know, like death is the grave. Death, you see, Korach went into the grave. It was the visible representation of what was happening spiritually. The contempt was against faith and the death was against life. Life and faith work together. Death and faith work against life and faith. We want to have the good synergy. That's what Romans 8.28 says. We know that God causes everything to work together, causes good synergy for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know all things. So let's pray. Lord, help us choose life and faith and learn to bring all of our desires to you. Help us, Lord, avoid contempt. Help us avoid trouble and bringing trouble to other people, even when it's not our intention. And so, Mishpacha, let's pray this traditional Jewish prayer that, that is in our Siddur in many different places, but I want to pray it very simply. 
Oh my God, guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking guile. Open my heart to your Torah and let my soul pursue your commandments. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we pray this together in the name of Yeshua and we say, Amen. So in just a moment, we're going to be closing with Aaron's blessing. And so please rise if you're in the sanctuary. And if you want to gather, you can. For everyone who needs to keep a safe distance, feel free to do so. For those who are wearing masks and in the the protected areas, um, you keep in your areas. And others who are not wearing masks, don't go into those areas right now. Um, Let's all learn how to stand together each in the way that we need to. Right now, would you consider standing with us financially? And if this live stream is a blessing to you, or if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast, or our sanctuary services, or, or the synagogue, Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue, and all that we do, if we're a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information is available on one page, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Don't forget, there's a special Oneg today in the Shalom Center. It's a great time to connect and to have fellowship and to enjoy some refreshments. Now let's close with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'chunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So from Sandia and me and the entire Beth Israel team, thanks for joining us today. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. <laughs>